0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the For The Win Podcast. I am your Tuesday host, Charles Curtis, and on today's episode, we have a guy I just had on two weeks ago, but because the hot stove has already gotten hot or is about to get hot, had to get him on again. It's Ted Berg, who covers baseball for us. Ted, what's going on? I am chilling. How are you? I am mostly chilling, too. Uh, I guess chilling, we can, we can make a pun because I have a bit of a cold so apologies for listener for stown and stuffed up, but we'll for John on. Uh, and t- in today's uh, little uh, talk with Ted, we're going to talk about where Bryce Harper might go and why he should take a three-year deal, which is kind of an interesting take from our, our guy Ted here. And generally about the approach that teams are going to take. Is-, is it proof that there's competitive balance in baseball finally after so many years of big pay, bloated payrolls. So let's get right into it. Is Bryce Harper going to stay with the nationals? Is he going elsewhere? Like, what's your, what's your feeling?
1: Um, my gut is that he won't stay with the nationals and I wouldn't rule it out. The nationals have a really good relationship with Scott Boris, who's his agent. Uh, they are a team that's willing to spend money, but they were over the luxury tax last year. Uh, they are, they, were, you know, a very disappointing team. They, they have been disappointing for a variety of reasons for over the last five years or so, uh, as well-documented, you know, never advanced past the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I don't think it's a team that needs a total reset and a rebuild. And so, you know, I wouldn't say Harper is out for them, uh, but they do have a lot of corner outfield talent already uh, in-house. I'm not sure it's the best way for them to spend that money. And outside of you know, the appeal of keeping a guy in the same uniform and, and uh, you know, the face of that franchise uh, as, as that, I don't know that, that Harper is exactly the right guy for them. So I would be kind of surprised. I think after he turned down uh, what was reported as, a, I think, a 10-year, $300 million extension from them, I suspect he goes elsewhere just because now they're on more or less equal
0: footing with everybody else. I kind of agree with you because, and and I read too much into things. I know I do, but watching him cry with that that last uh, post game talk at the at the end of the, with the local station, whoever it was, um, where he's sort of starting to choke up a little bit. I was like, oh, he's gone. He's he's definitely leaving. And it's amazing to me that he would turn down three hundred million dollars. But that's the market for Bryce Harper. That's insane. He could, and we've been talking about this for what two years now that he could command upwards of four hundred million. Do you see that happening? That some team says, "Here's your four hundred million dollars, and you're going to earn that and then some over the next ten years." So what's what's
1: tricky about it, and what's interesting about the Nets deal? And I just saw—I think I just saw Ken Rosenthal bring this up on Twitter. It wasn't—it wasn't my thought, but the Nats make a habit of uh, putting a lot of deferred money into their contracts, like Max Scherzer's deal. Uh, it was $210 million total, and that was you know, sort of an eye-popping number. But a lot of that money is to be paid off so far down the road that it's, it's a different dollar amount than it would be if you were just giving a guy a more traditionally structured seven-year deal. Um, and so you, know, you say 10-year, 300 for for Harper – Uh, And you don't know if that means, you know, 10 years at $30 million a year evenly or something structured where it's paying him, you know, into 2055. Um, And, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be one to pick nits over how I get my $300 million. But uh, if you're a guy who can expect to make that much, then you're probably not going to sign up for the deferred money. Right. You're going to take Mm -hmm. the the lump sum up up front. Uh, I think. It's, an, it's a weird baseball economy right now, and that's sort of what I wrote about yesterday because the, the new collective bargaining aid, uh, agreement, which went into place uh, in, at the end of 2016 and, and we saw really in its first full offseason last year, uh, it's so punitive to teams that go over the luxury tax threshold. Uh, and especially teams that routinely go over the luxury tax threshold, that clubs like the Yankees and Dodgers and, and Red Sox, the, the big spenders, uh, for that reason and others, are now, I think, reluctant to spend that type of money on any one free agent. Uh, there are very few examples of, of this type of, you know, 10 year mega deals where you say, okay, that one really worked out for this team because by nature, you're paying a guy into his decline phase. A Harper is younger than, than most any free agent that has, that has ever hit the market. So it's a, it's a little bit of a different equation there. Um, and I do think that, uh, the value he brings is so great, you know, both in terms of his actual on-field production, uh, in terms of the top end talent, which is not something that has always been that, you know, he's, he hasn't produced to his reputation for most of his career, but uh, yeah. the reputation is deserved. We know that when he's on, he's, he's the best hitter in the game and, and we've seen him do it for a full season when he's healthy. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's uh, and, and, you know, the fame on top of that, the, the, Uh, And and I'm sure the teams have a calculation for uh, how many jerseys he's going to sell and how many extra eyeballs he's going to bring in and how many tickets he's going to sell. And I think that all adds up to one of the most valuable free agents in the sports history. Now, uh, the interesting caveat to that is that if you look back, even if you include 2015, which was Harper's huge season, he just hasn't been as good a player as Matt Machado over the last few years. And and Machado's also extremely young, also a free agent. He's a a more valuable defensive player because he's flexible. He can play the infield. um, And he's just been better. Um, And so uh, while Machado's reputation and fame don't match Harper's, uh, and now there are knocks on Machado as a a dude, as we discussed, (laughs) I think, uh, two weeks ago. We did, um, yeah. I'm going to be interested. To, I, I'm really interested to see if Machado winds up with more money than Harper this offseason.
0: Yeah, what I wanted to get into, because you're, you're talking generally uh, of one of the questions that we put out there at the, uh, the outset of this, this, today's episode. Uh, before we get into that, I want to ask about the, the thing you wrote, which you all should go and click on, why Bryce Harper might be best served pursuing only a three-year deal. Why do you think that's the case when we're talking about, like you said, a transcended superstar who, yes, who may not be the greatest player in the game, uh, right, or the best player in the game right now, especially with Machado around, but who could earn a club a lot of eyeballs, money, uh, publicity, so on and so forth.
1: What I think will end up happening will be he signs, you know, one of these long term, like a 10 year type contract Mm -hmm. with a three year opt out. Um, And I think that then he will, if he produces at all, exercise that opt out uh, Mm. because uh, of the the collective bargaining agreement I mentioned, it it expires at the end of the 2021 season. It has become abundantly clear since this current uh, agreement was signed that it has been very bad for a free agent for free agent baseball players. Um, now, granted, they're still getting a lot of money. Eric Hosmer still got a hundred and forty four million dollars last year. It's not like it's it's totally dried up. And so, someone just takes one team to to blow Harper out of the water. Uh, I, I'm I'm guessing that for Tony Clark and for the Players Union, fixing free agency is going to be a, a massive part of the next CBA. And so, uh, where Yankees. the Yankees blew past 200 million in payroll for the first time in 2005 uh, and were under it this year uh, teams like the Yankees used to routinely uh, field teams with a payroll of twice the league median um, the Dodgers would do it pretty frequently too I think one time the Yankees even tripled the league median payroll and now uh, because of of revenue sharing because of the the luxury tax uh because of draft pick penalties and and teams sort of moving towards uh developing homegrown guys the top spenders in the league just don't uh they just don't outspend the rest of the clubs the way they used to and i feel like that is sort of a, a something that has happened uh artificially because of these penalties put in to the cba and so if the league can remove that or or mitigate those to some extent especially uh, what they're doing is, is there's sort of like a progressive tax. If you go over once, you pay, uh, I think, 10%. If you go over twice, you pay 20%. If you go over three times, you pay 50%. And so it behooves teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers to get back under it for at least one year before they go past the, the luxury tax again, and, the, and they both did this year. Um, and so I think the, the union will probably focus on eliminating that type of, of exponential increase to that tax you start seeing these top end spend in accordance with how much money they're making now, which is far, far more than they were making in in two thousand five when the Yankees were spending more than they are now in payroll. And so, I think it's a it's a whole new market. If there's a new CBA, and I think Harper and Boris should be smart enough to realize that. Uh, and that's why I, I wrote. You know, the the first three years, I think of this deal are really the most important ones for
0: him. That's really fascinating, and and it it sounds like a Scott Boris move to me, right? Like he sees the the, the lay of the land. It reminds me of what happened in the NBA, where they were before they got a new TV deal, which would then give this influx of cash into um, the league, which then therefore the the players would get a bigger chunk of that. So they they, as I recall, I think it was they signed some players to these short deals that would end right before that, and then. Everybody got paid. <laughs> it's different here uh, a little bit because you talk about these sort of luxury taxes and, and, and all that. And it brings me to the question that I, it made me think about while reading your, your piece, which was, Is does this mean that, you know, if the Yankees and the Dodgers are suddenly like, nope, we're not probably going after Bryce Harper, does it mean that we have reached a point in baseball where there is now competitive balance uh, and parity because these teams can't overspend? Kind of. I would say kind of.
1: Um, there are sort of marginal ways teams can, uh, can there are like loopholes and ways teams work around it. Uh, the Dodgers, uh, part of what built the current Dodgers team is that for a long time, they were willing to just eat salary and defer salary and, and, and move money around in ways that, uh, that avoided those penalties while still sort of flexing their financial might and, and club's. Uh, there's there's caps to signings and and how much you can spend in the draft and and uh, but the big market clubs sort of figure out ways to maximize their uh, their money if not necessarily mm-hmm. on payroll then elsewhere in player development um, right if if there were really competitive balance I don't think you'd see the Yankees Red Sox and Dodgers in the Season practically every year, right? It's not just that they're so much better run than the other franchises. There, there are the the financial powerhouses, and and they've used it well. Um, you know, versus not not every team that spends a ton wins a ton, and that's that's clear, right? The the A's and the Rays were both very much contenders this season with with very small payrolls. There are ways to create a winner without spending money, um, and so you know probably. Uh, and I guess the other sports have have salary caps and salary floors, so it's a, it's a different. Uh, it's it's not a great analogy, but in baseball, uh, the the way uh, players just don't get paid that much until they hit free agency, right? Until right, as right. as long as they're on their rookie contracts and and into arbitration, they're not getting paid that much, and those are usually their most productive seasons. So clubs that have a you know a really good record of of player development and and really know how to get the most out of the guys on their rosters can compete without spending like the big boys. Um, and and like I said, like, you know the median salary has more than doubled since the early aughts when they first put in the luxury tax. Uh, revenue sharing has been great for a bunch of the middle market teams that are willing to reinvest. But you also have teams, uh, the Florida Marlins are the most obvious example, where they're getting all this revenue sharing money and not reinvesting it in payroll. And so I don't think there's enough, uh, in place to make sure that, uh, the competitive balance extends to, to all 30 teams, right? Because, uh, a, a well-meaning team and, and I don't know that such a thing exists, they're all businesses, but uh, a team that, that is legitimately invested in fielding a winner, uh, can certainly benefit from something like a luxury tax because it and sharing the the online money which they do uh, because it gives them a lot more flexibility to add payroll but uh, teams that are only invested in in profiting as much as possible can sort of cash in on their TV deals and cash in on the revenue sharing money and not really put it back into the team and into fielding a winner so uh, I think there's a lot to be worked out in the in the new CBA
0: Yeah, they could pocket it, basically. Uh, Going back to Harper, then, and coupling all this together, like, are there teams on your radar who are not going to hit or, you know, could sort of get close to that luxury tax without uh, going over? Or are they, you know, some that you think are willing to go a little bit over for Harper in, in, you know, on the list? I, I think immediately the Phillies... Uh, which is a team I think that probably you know he's been linked most to Harper, and it makes the most sense to me. Any uh, are are they a contender? Who are the other contenders for Harper? Um, there's been noise about the White Sox, which is a really interesting yeah, one. That was um, weird to me. And I also I, before you go on, I, I found it really weird that the backlash was like, why would you want to sign with the White Sox? They're a trash organization. And I was like, uh, no, like that's not true. And also they are set up beautifully because they have they've you know sort of liquidated and now they're like you know. They can start rebuilding around Harper. Anyway, go on. Yeah, so the White Sox.
1: Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, you're right, and and it's it's weird because they are uh, they're the second fiddle team in Chicago, and and right. that doesn't seem the mo at all. Um, but he's so uh, so very much Bryce Harper that you could kind of see him being like, well, hell, I'm going to go to the White Sox and make them the first fiddle. You know, like <laughs> if if I'm on, the, and like you said, they did. A, uh, I think that coming into this year, uh, they looked like a team that was really well set up for 2019 and beyond. Now, a bunch of their top prospects and best young players really significantly underperformed this season. And so, uh, Jan Moncada, a guy I think everyone expected to be a superstar, looks mm-hmm. like something less than that now. Michael Kopech, who was going to be their ace, is going to be out for 2019 with, with, with Tommy John surgery. Uh, a bunch of the other pitching prospects they have are either far away or uh, had disappointing seasons this year. And so uh, where, you know, if you looked at, at Outlook last year at this time, I would say, like, well, yeah, actually, you know, I wouldn't be shocked for Harper to land there. Now, uh, assuming Harper is invested in winning, it's harder to see it as an obvious, uh, like a fait accompli, that, that Harper, that, that the White Sox are going to be good. Um, what they do have is a, a weak division where, you know, the Indians, the Indians are going to be good for a couple more seasons uh, as long as they have, you know, they the top end pitching guys still under contract. But other than the Indians, there's there's no team there that's sort of on the precipice of contending uh, no more, none more so than the White Sox. And so there is a route back to the postseason for Harper there. Uh, I would still be surprised. I, you know, I, I think that, more likely uh, more likely landing spots are are the, like you said, the Phillies is the one everyone keeps talking about. Uh, I think that the Giants, depending on how their front office, office wants to play it, uh, I think they could make a run at Harper. But I think uh, like you said, there you know, there's enough payroll parity now. Um, and enough teams with with plenty of flexibility below that luxury tax tax threshold that there could be some surprise ones. In there, um, like no one's talking about the Houston Astros as as a contender for Harper. Um, And that they, you know, supposedly worked out a deal for Harper at the trade deadline. Uh, I think that if I'm Harper and I'm looking at it and I want to say, well, how do I win a ring? That's how you win a ring. You know, yeah, it's you, a, it's a Kevin you Durant. It's them, Kevin Durant
0: going to the Warriors, basically. It is exactly that,
1: right? If if yeah. if the, I mean, I would say the, you know, and I've I've dropped that comparison before with the Astros to the Warriors. If there is a team that can make itself a super team, uh, and you know beyond how it how it already is, uh, I, that's that's the Astros, and and you know they have some, uh, they're going to have a, a bunch of players they want to lock up to long term extensions, and maybe that's not how they want to spend that money but if it does come down to something like oh harper is looking for the first three years front loaded here uh maybe the Estros do make sense right maybe they sort of you know put the pedal to the floor and say well we got to win some championships while while atuve and correa and bregman and and george springer are are all in their primes and and under team control at, at fairly reasonable prices uh and you put Bryce harper i mean that everybody benefits from putting Bryce Harper in the middle of that lineup. It's a it's a heavily right-handed lineup. You add a left-handed bat uh, that that with with that type of power, you give Harper opportunities, runners on base, good hitters behind him, and I mean it's already I think probably the best offense in the league. Top to bottom, and then you add, you know, one of the best hitters. It would be outrageous. That's, I, I guess, I'm kind of brooding for that. Is what I'm saying. Yeah,
0: that would be. That would blow up. That would blow up social media and blow up MLB, and we'd be having those debates about, oh, Bryce Harper front runner, yada yada. And it would be, that would be so fun. Uh, you can check everything out uh, that, that Ted does at OG Ted Berg on Twitter and uh, on For the Win. And, Ted, thank you as always for joining us, and we'll we'll have you back again when uh, maybe when it's all said and done, and, and we have uh, Harper and Machado in potentially different uniforms. I look forward to that. Thanks.